0: Pastor Xavier Reese, and passing on invaluable simple truths from generation to generation. my responsibility to communicate
1: to my children, they're growing up, what God has done in my life, how He saved me, what He's doing each day, how He's provided for money, how He did this, how He touched and He healed me, or He healed my wife, or whatever it is. Generation after Joshua and the elders did not do this, so the people did not know Yahweh nor His.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Technology and experience over the years has provided investigators amazingly accurate methods of reconstructing premeditated crime, a devastating fire, or deadly automobile accident. Well, what if we had the means to predict behavior that results in this kind of demise? Well, Pastor Xavier says we do. In a matter of speaking, maybe not for all unforeseen circumstances, but at least a fair warning for the resulting harmful outcomes of compromised living to the simple truths of God's Word. Let's listen.
1: The message entitled, Elements for Godless Living. The Book of Judges is the blueprint of what a nation or a person must do to destroy themselves. So if you're interested in destroying your life, take good notes. Because this is exactly what America has done. I want to look at a broad view of the book of Judges in terms of five key elements that are responsible for an ungodly, decaying society. But the first one is the failure to follow strong leadership. Secondly, failure to drive out the unclean and the ungodly out of our lives. Thirdly, the failure of believers to marry unbelievers Fourth, the failure of sincere repentance. And fifth, the failure of a generation that neither knows the Lord nor the work of the Lord. The fifth is the sum total of the four that begins. Now, let's begin here first with the failure to follow strong leadership. Judges continues. The book of Joshua, literally, history. The tragic record of the refusal to follow the strong leadership is engraved forever. You look at Judges uh, chapter 2, verse 10 and 12. Uh, It says, when all the generations had been uh, gathered to their fathers, another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the sensual gods. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers whom had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord Yahweh to anger, all capital letters, the covenant God. They provoked it, knowing what they were to do, what they were not to do, they still did it. The two key phrases to describe the character of the period of judges are as follows. First, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. Judges 17.6 and 21.25, all the confusion, disobedience is directly related to no real leadership. The failure to follow strong leadership will result in an ungodly decaying society inside the church. We are not the secular, but inside the church. Notice secondly, the failure to drive out the unclean and ungodly out of our lives is the second key element. The book of Judges reveals the compromise of a sanctified life in the Lord. In chapter 1 here of Judges, the people failed to drive out the people to possess their inheritance, even though God had given it to them. Understand this. The land was theirs. They failed to take the land. In chapter 1, verse 21 it says, they failed to trust the Lord, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem, so the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Not that they couldn't defeat them, they compromised, they didn't defeat them. They failed to depend on the Lord. It says, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of beth and his villages Tacna in his villages or the inhabitants of Dor in his villages and the inhabitants of Iblim in his villages or the inhabitants of Megiddo in his villages for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. Verse 27. The enemies always determined to dwell in the land. You must drive him out. Satan will give no ground. Your flesh will give no ground. In verse 28, they became complacent. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites on the tribute but did not completely drive them out. So let's make a compromise. We'll put you to work for us. Really? There are churches who have elders and deacons and that, and they're total pagans. They're not born again. How can you do that? Notice the consequence is that God allowed them to reap their compromise. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He did so to bear the weight of their sin and discomfort and pain. Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. A stumbling stone, an ensnarement, an entrapment. In chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, to test those who would be obedient, because God doesn't just cast out the obedient with the disobedient. Though it's an exception. Now the book of Judges, you have total bondage, compromise, disobedience. But in this period, you have to put the book of Ruth. You have a group of people praising God, worshiping God, God blessing them, directing and guiding them. They're dependent upon him. The book of Judges, the church of Laodicea. The book of Ruth, the church of Philadelphia. They're both in the same period. The majority, lukewarm, doing their thing. The minority, trusting God, looking to him. God is very specific in the New Testament, about our sanctification. We live in the world, but not of the world. We're no longer there. Therefore, we break all things that would take us away from God, compromise or tempt us in those areas. Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says this. Paul the apostle says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be a son and a daughter, says the Lord God Almighty. The failure to drive out the unclean and ungodly out of our lives will result in an ungodly decaying society within the church and the world. Notice thirdly, the failure of believers to marry unbelievers. Ooh, this is a touchy one. And this is the one where we fail the most in the church. The book of Judges reveals a destructive pattern of intermarrying with unbelievers. Believers. Judges 3.6. The disobedient, knowing they, what they were supposed to do, did not do it. It says, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they serve their gods. There is a joining of two families into one, light and darkness. The darkness has nothing to do with the fact that they are evil, but the fact that they are lost and unsaved. You've got some good moral pagans, nice people, but they're still lost. They don't know God. Their values are not what yours are as a Christian. There's an authority being submitted to to another and an authority being imposed by another. There's a division of the home. You're serving two different gods. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No, Amos 3.3. The alchemist's treacherous unfaithfulness to God, primarily. The believer is often pulled back into darkness when you marry a non-believer. They practice the evil. They serve sensual and corrupt gods and their pleasures, their formal lifestyle. You know that. We all used to be there. It's not that we're better or we think we're beyond it. We know. We were there. The book of Judges reveals one of the judges who fell into the trap of marrying unbelieving women. His name was Samson. We're going to be getting to him more in depth later on. The New Testament is very clear about the sanctification relationship in marriage. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unlawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has believer with unbeliever? Every one of those says, none. They invite you to dinner or You find you go. There. They start getting funky. You say, you know, I got to get going. Thank you very much for the invitation. You don't say, you pagans, I knew I shouldn't have come. You don't say that. (laughs) This includes dating, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, no boyfriend, no girlfriend was a non-believer. Okay? And certainly this includes engagement and even marriage because that's the whole goal. But listen to me. If you don't hang out with non-believers on a regular basis and you don't date non-believers, you're not going to get engaged, you're not going to get married to a non-believer. It's real simple, okay? Now, this includes going into business with a non-believer. If you're a godly man and you have a business or a woman, you do not partner up with a non-believer because their principles of morality and ethics is different than yours. And if they compromise, you're part of that bad witness. You as a godly man, you can hire non-believers to be an example for them to provide jobs and to let them see what a Christian is but you don't partner with unbelievers. And many Christians have done this through the years, and I have seen them go broke. I've seen them go to jail because they thought they were the exception. Just as Christians who get married with non believers, they think they're the exception. I've seen their lives destroyed. The subtle influence and breakdown of your Christian worldview is certain, guaranteed. It puts you in a position of choosing whom you're going to please, God or your mate. You open yourself up to contamination of attitudes, values, double meanings, the way you think. You're taking a chance on forsaking the Lord, particularly when you're a woman, and you start getting involved prior to marriage sexually with a young man, you are dead. You are tied at the head, at the hip, at the feet. You're done. Remember the counsel of Balaam to Balak. He says, send your young Midianite women down there to show them how they worship their God sexually. God will destroy them. Numbers 25, Numbers 31, 36. You don't have to defeat them. God will take care of them. He'll turn on them. Your house will be a divided home. As you raise your children, they're going to be pagan or they're going to be Christian. Totally divided. Jeremiah put it this way, Jeremiah 2.13. He says... For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern was a container of water, a rock. And in the winter, water would be put in there. But it's after that winter they would find out if there was no crack in it, it would hold the water. So a person might spend two, three years carving out the cistern. In the first winter, he's excited. He comes back afterwards, all gone, wasted energy. My people have committed two evils. They have forgotten me, forsaken the fountain of living waters, fresh, clean, for stagnant, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's what we sell out for. God gives us diamonds, we pick up dirt clots. The failure of believers to marry unbelievers will perpetuate an ungodly and decaying society, first in the church, then the world. Notice fourthly, the failure of sincere repentance the book of judges presents to us 13 judges which indicates 13 stages of bondage you have Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, Samson, and Samuel 12 men one woman the cycle of these 13 stages is marked by identical repetitious acts without any spiritual advancement or spiritual benefit. Apostasy, bondage, crying out for deliverance, deliverance, brief obedience, apostasy again. This is the picture of many Christians' life. And we use the political correctness of the world and the dysfunctional psychological explanations to excuse it. No, God has enabled you to get away from the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, or whatever it is, you fill in the blank. All you can say is, I will not. You cannot say you cannot. God has given you the same salvation he gave to me. It's the same straight across the board. But everybody's wimping out. Compromising. As you've got a church of bondage. Worldly. Laodicea. Lukewarm. The key phrases identify the insincere repentance they're recorded for us. I can't give you all the reference. There's too many. But let me give you some of the phrases. This is regarding the people of God. They wept, whiners, without change. They forsook the Lord. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. The Lord raised up judges to deliver them. But they went back. They reverted to behave more corrupt than their fathers. Israel played the harlot. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. 13 judges, 13 cycles of insincere repentance. Insincere repentance. Tears don't mean anything. Words don't mean anything. Give me some action. Let me see the evidence of it. There are many men in prison who are sorry for what they did. But they're not sorry for the crime. They're sorry for the consequence. This is not repentance. It's mere regret for the consequence on your life. An emotional outburst of crying and sorrow with expression of remorse over what one has done is not necessarily sincere repentance. The individual will have a good cry, a period of gloom, only to go out and commit the same thing over again. Remember? Oh, I'm never going to do that again. Next weekend, here we are. Brings forth death. Each time... The act of sin having a lesser effect on the regret of doing it or even thinking it was wrong because it progresses, right? Matthew 3, 7 through 9 says, But when he saw many, speaking of John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. You make sure you're not just going to church. You make sure you are the church. You make sure you just don't remember the word of God and memorize it, but that it go deep in your heart and transform you. There's a big difference. True biblical repentance brings about a change of heart and a change of mind with a change of life there's not only an emotional regret of the consequences, but the primary regret is the very act that was committed. You know it was wrong. And the recognition is it's primarily against God first, then man. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, it says, against you and only you have I sinned, Lord. First it's against God, then it's against or with other men and women. The specifics of biblical repentance is characterized by four things recognition of my sin the confession of my sin the abandonment of my sin and whenever possible restitution of my sin but it's not always possible nor is it wise to try to make restitution so you have to use discretion that's biblical repentance paul the apostle provides for us the biblical definition of true repentance, 2 Corinthians chapter seven nine through ten. Listen first to verse nine. Godly repentance benefits the person repenting. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. He's talking to Christians. They were carnal. They were visiting temple of prostitutes. They were involved in. Pagan sacrifices, and he says, You have to repent, and it's only for your good, it's gonna benefit you to repentance. Secondly, in verse 10, godly repentance leads to eternal life, not regret, which is worldly death. For godly sorrow produces repentance and leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. We don't learn how often a guy gets busted with a DUI, oh, I'll never do it. Next evening, he's there. The drug addict, the fornicator, the adulterer, the thief. We don't learn. We're bound. We're slaves to our sin nature if we don't use the word of God. So the failure of sincere repentance is regret for the consequence in an ungodly and decaying society. If it's not sincere, it just keeps going. Notice fifth the failure of a generation that neither knows the Lord or the work of the Lord. The book of Judges reveals a devastating fact resulting from these four elements of an ungodly, decaying society. A generation came to know not God nor the things of God. It didn't begin there. He's talking to the people of God, not the unbeliever, the people of God. When all that generation, Judges 2.10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. I read that at the beginning and that principle, here it is full circle. Wow. They did not know the Lord Yahweh. This can happen by the parents not teaching the children the word of God as well as not living it out there's a great responsibility to us as parents. This can happen by children and young people rejecting the teaching of the parents and not embracing it for themselves. So on the one side, it's the fault of the parents. If that's the case, on the other side, it can be the children. It's not always just one or the other. Okay. It can be on both ends. They did not know the work of Yahweh, what he had done for Israel. This can only happen If the past works of God are not communicated by the parents, parents are busted here, okay? It is my responsibility to communicate to my children as they're growing up what God has done in my life, how he saved me, what he's doing each day, how he's provided for money, how he did this, how he touched and he healed me, or he healed my wife, or whatever it is that I communicate these things. Don't wait till they're eighteen; they're 18. They won't believe you then. The memorial altars to remind them about God and the things that he did were all around the land, memorials. In fact, in Joshua 4, 4 through 6, it says, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom had appointed for the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone in his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these Things or stones mean to you. Dad, what's this pile of stones doing here? This is when God brought us out of Egypt. And in flood season, he parted the Jordan and we walked on dry ground and he gave us the land. You have memorials around your house for your children? The generation after Joshua and the elders did not do this. So the people did not know Yahweh nor his works. There is one thing that will contribute to the downfall of a nation and people, the failure to communicate the faith of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Absolutely. It's like leaven. It has been said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. America is headed in that direction. More people know about Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola in the United States than Jesus Christ. For the first time, nations of the world are sending missionaries to America. That's how bad we are. And the emerging church and the seeker-friendly church is not helping matters. It's compromising the gospel, diluting it. The failure of a generation that neither knows the Lord or the work of the Lord has no restraint against living ungodly and in a decaying society. These are the five key elements responsible for an ungodly decaying society in the book of Judges. It is a blueprint. If you follow it, you will do a good job destroying yourself and your nation. The failure to follow strong leadership. The failure to drive out the unclean and ungodly out of our lives. The failure of believers to marry unbelievers and the failure of insincere repentance. All of these result in the failure of a generation that neither knows the Lord nor the work of the Lord. He's talking to the people of God, not the lost. The warning is to the people of God, not the lost. God, help us. May we have discretion and wisdom and know where we're at and how soon we are to the return of Christ.
0: Pastor Xavier Reis has been recognizing five key components for a decaying society drawn from the first message of a brand new series in the book of Judges. And today's study, titled Elements for Godless Living, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. Plus, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So, once again, the title to ask for is Elements for Godless Living. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485.